I'm Amy Hall. I'm here with Greg Kokel, and you're listening to Stand to Reasons, hashtag STR Ask podcast. Yes, you are. All right, Greg, here's a question that I think we get pretty regularly. Um, it's a slightly different twist on a question we get a lot. This so one... refer to podcast number 357. <laughs> I'm not sure how many times we've talked about it on this podcast. So, okay. so here it is. This one comes from Cindy Taylor. I am 65 and have studied the Bible since I became a Christ follower at 31, but I want to become an apologist. How do I begin my journey to become an apologist? Um, well, good, Cindy. I tip my hat to you, and um, I think it's great that you have meaningful goals and horizons that you're shooting for, even at the stage of life that you're in. Um. Well, I always give two pieces of advice regarding this kind of question, but I'm thinking if I want to expand on it. The um, I got into apologi- apologetics because I was interested in it, and uh, I had questions to answer by people who I was talking to on the street during the Jesus movement. And then when I, I, I joined this Christian community in Westwood and moved into the community— of, there were about 60-some people that lived there. In that facility, there were about 100-plus in the community, lived outside of campus, so to speak. Uh, it was called the Jesus Christ Light and Powerhouse. Um, I got a chance to be exposed to people who actually trafficked in apologetics and could recommend books and stuff. Back then, there wasn't very many. There was Francis Schaeffer, who I benefited greatly from, the most, really. Uh, there was... Uh, uh, John Warwick Montgomery, there was uh, Norm Geisler, there was Josh McDowell, and there was Ma- Walter Martin, and Walter Martin focused on cults. And I actually had exposure to Walter Martin before I was a Christian, but that really didn't play a, a, a role in my own uh, conversion. Um, so how did I do it? I I followed my interest, and I saw a book. It looked interesting, so I read it, and I reflected on it. I, I know I didn't have any aspirations of becoming an apologist. I don't know what an apologist was. These were just areas of interest to me. And so, oh, the evolution. Well, here's a book. Okay, I read that, you know, a, a critique of evolution, a scientific critique um, from somebody capable in the field. I, um, I, uh, you know, there are problems with the challenges to the Bible. So I had evidence that demands a verdict or the resurrection, and there I could read um, that. And, and, I just followed my interests. I didn't try to become an apologist. I I just was interested in this particular issue. And as time went on, I realized that it gave me more capability to respond to other people, and it also encouraged my own convictions as well. So I guess my recommendation to Cindy is to follow your interests in apologetics, okay, there are lots of areas of defense for Christianity. I tend to be more of a generalist myself, just because I'm interested in a lot of areas. Some people focus more in on, uh, say, ethical issues like abortion or um, same-sex marriage and whatever. And this is a specialty, for example, of Alan Schliemann. And he also is very interested in Islam, and so he's specialized in that, too. He's that guy knows a lot of stuff in those areas that he has specialized in. And uh, Tim Barnett, science teacher, he leans towards that, but he's 
does a lot of other stuff as well. Uh, John Noyes used to be an atheist, and he like, likes talking about the the issues of atheism. So, uh, Cindy, I, I think you should just follow your interests to build your understanding. All right. Now, the more you build your understanding, and what I have characterized this as in the past, as be a student of your craft. If you want to develop apologetics as a craft, be a student of apologetics. Um, read. Read whatever interests you. Read carefully. Reflect on it, you know. Um, but by the way, if you're really interested in it, you're going to read it carefully. I read all my stuff like that really carefully because I, it was fun. It wasn't an assignment. Um, then I decided, since now I'm developing this understanding of apologetics things in particular, and there's a need to convey that understanding to others, either non-Christians in engagement or to train other Christians in it, I, I have a spiritual gift of teaching. I, I just want to tell people what I know. And so it was that gets me into trouble sometimes, but I, I, it was just natural for me to start talking and when I had an occasion doing a little study or something with people about the thing that I was interested in. That's how I became an apologist. I didn't decide to be an apologist and then figure out what's the right route to get there. It just developed, and I became more serious over time about developing my craft and then I signed up at Simon Greenleaf University in the late 80s to, uh, to get a master's degree in apologetics. I actually, honestly, wasn't really shooting so much for the degree as I was taking classes that interested me. And that's the first time I had a class from J.P. Moreland, for example. That's where I met J.P. And uh, then I took a bunch of classes over and over. John Montgomery is one of, taught one of the classes. Uh, Craig Hawkins was in that class. He's an apologist in Southern California here. Some people recognize him. We did a lot of radio work together later. And uh, that's how I met Craig Hawkins. And uh, uh, one of the classes was taught by Kim Riddlebarger. And uh, he was reformed. And I got introduced to logic and stuff like that. And he used to hang out with Kim. And Kim was a good buddy of uh, Mike Horton. And so I ended up going to Mike Horton's house a lot. Back before he was even had a PhD, and that's how I learned Reformed theology, famously, as I say, in his jacuzzi, which is true. So notice how just one thing led to another is what I'm saying. I'm just pursuing my interest, and um, and I wasn't even thinking about it as, as a stewardship, but uh, I, I was able to refine my pursuit by working on my master's degree. And then they sent me a letter and said, you're ready to graduate. Really? I'm all done. Yep. One more course and then you graduate. Oh, okay. So it just kind of happened. Now, at that point, when I was ready to graduate with one more course, I knew about J.P. Moreland's M.A. Phil course program. They were just starting. This is 1993. I think the program started in 92. And Melinda had already enrolled, I think, in that program. And so what I did is I bridged over into it. So I took the first course in the MA Phil program, and it transferred over to complete my program as an MA Apologetics. They accepted that course. So I got my MA Apologetics. Now I'm working at my MA Phil. Now I'm very um, intentional about developing my craft. I had a lot of stuff about apologetics on my own and then through this MA program, which was headed up, as it turns out, by Craig Hazen, who eventually 
went to Biola and started the program there. And uh, so that's how I got to know Craig, actually, initially. And then um, and then intentionally, now I need another, I need a step up. And that's why I went into a much more challenging program of philosophy, which has been, it, it's just, I can't even begin to explain how helpful that has been, given the kinds of challenges that I've faced since then as a communicator and as an educator and as somebody out in the uh, m- marketplace of ideas. But notice the progression. So my recommended r- recommendation to Cindy is um, if you want to be an apologist, it's because you like apologetics. So just keep reading, keep studying or take courses or do things online. Or if you want, get a degree. You can go to Biola or you can go to, you know, SES. And there's a lot of programs that have distance learning capabilities or opportunities and then continue to do that. And then keep your eye open for opportunities where you can use what you've learned and what you're learning in the lives of other people. Now, this is bloom where you're planted, which is the other aphorism that has made a big difference to me. And uh, and then start doing that. And the more that you do that, that you have the capability, probably the more opportunities will be presented to you. And also, the more you're going to learn your craft because you're communicating it to others in an organized way, which is part of learning your craft. It's not just the content, it's the delivery. So that's what I would recommend. Um, I don't know about your own journey, Amy. I'd I'd like to hear that because this might help. Mine was pretty similar. I was just really interested in it, and I was working in the film industry, and I was talking to a lot of people and having discussions about spiritual things. And so I wanted to get the the master's at Biola, and I did that on nights and weekends, never dreaming I would be doing this Mm -hmm. for a career. I was just doing it because I loved it, and I loved talking to people. And I was using it in real life. So um, I think it kind of goes along with everything that you said there, Greg. But I, what I would say to Cindy is um, as soon as you start helping others understand, as soon as you start using what you're learning, you, you're an apologist. So start using it. And one of the things that I did right at the beginning is you gather like-minded people, you find some people who are interested in what you're thinking about, and you get together and you start reading books. I, I call that dry tinder in the last chapter of the of the tactics book, and this is a point that J.P. Moreland makes in his book, Loving Your God With All Your Mind. Mm-hmm. That's great. So, all, so that's something really simple you can do. Get people together, start reading through these books, start talking about them, and then maybe you can plan some sort of a, quote, mission trip. You can all go to a campus. You can go to any sort of a public place and just start talking to people and see what happens. And from that, you'll learn things and you come back and that will fuel what you're doing. Um, anytime you put it into practice, it's going to fuel learning more. Right. Uh, and was it the February mentoring letter? I, I can't recall. I think it was the February mentoring letter for this year. I actually sketched out a way of doing a a questionnaire on campus or in the mall or with people, a series of questions in different directions you go, depending on their answer to the first question, which is, do you think there is a God? Not do you believe in God, but do you think there is a God? Yes, that takes you in one direction. No, that takes you another. And you're just gathering information. 
So there's a there's we have a help or an aid for that. Yeah, you can just tell them, hey, we're we're out here talking to people about what they believe, and we just have some questions for you. We just like to have a conversation right. with you. You'd be surprised how many people are, are open to that. Sure. I've been on Brett's mission trips. Mm-hmm. I've I've been in Utah. Brett I've been Kunkel. In, yes, Brett Kunkel. Five sorry, years ago, <laughs> six years ago. He now. takes high, Yes, he takes high school and I think college students out on these trips. Immersive experience. Yeah. So to the Berkeley campus, and we had great conversations. So the point is, there are all sorts of opportunities to learn with others and to take what you're learning and use it in the real world, and then come back and learn more. And I think you can start anywhere with that. There, you, And you have to start anywhere. That's how you get your practice. Um, so then a couple of things down the road would be like the, the Biola program. There's, there's a, a certificate program, which is a lot less um, intense than the master's program. So that's a possibility. There's Cross-Examined Instructor Academy. Mm-hmm. And that's with Frank Turek, and then Greg teaches there, too. Which will be doing the end of July, and there's still openings, last I heard, but they're getting fewer and fewer. Yeah. Cross-instructor. Cross-examined instructor Cross-examined Academy. with the ED, instructoracademy.com. Yes. Uh, and that is a place where you can practice speaking, and uh, and then the instructors will help you through that and give you advice but you don't have to be a speaker to be an apologist. I mean, maybe that's what you want to do, but maybe you just want to be interacting with real people. And so that's always open to you, even if you're not a speaker. And I just want to help you see that you are an apologist if you're using what you learned with with real people. And finally, there's a post on our website at str.org uh, that I wrote called For the Student Who Wants to Be a Christian Apologist. Oh, look at you. And it's actually, uh, it's geared towards high school students because I uh, recommend things like Impact 360 and yeah. Summit. But I have a bunch of different articles here for things that you've written, like Bloom Where You're Planted and uh, Strength in the Basics. Another post I wrote called A Plan to Begin a Year of Learning and it has a whole list of books there that I recommend so go to check out that post and you'll find a bunch of things. I also have some links at the end that are more about how we think about uh, kind of more the emotional side and the right. spiritual side, uh, a warning to apologists about sin, uh, be a parable of God's grace. And that's more like on the character side. So I recommend that post, and I link to a bunch of Greg's stuff and the advice he's given in the past on this. That reminds me of something else, too. Um to be an apologist is to defend the truth of Christianity, to be a Christian apologist. So um, when I took my M.A. Phil, this was a very, very demanding uh, master's degree. I think there were like 90 credits or something like that. That's a lot for an M.A. In fact, it's very difficult to do in two years. It took me <laughs> 13. But that's partly because close to half of our classes were theology classes. We were at Talbot School of Theology. So we had the philosophers and the theologians. And so we were getting as grounded in the truth, biblical truth, the true story of reality, as we were getting grounded in in philosophy of religion and ethics, which is that's what that program is. So that's really important, too. Do not give good theology the short shrift on this. 
I'm really glad you said that, Greg, because I think that is a danger with a lot of people who are into apologetics. They forget about that. They forget about knowing the Bible Mm -hmm. and knowing theology. And I think you're right. Those are, and I think they're especially important now because so many objections have to do with the goodness of God. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not familiar with the Bible, if you don't know it well, those things are going to be difficult to answer. All right, let's go on to a question from Derek Smith. Whenever I see speakers or others selling their books in churches, I question whether it's okay. Jesus drove people out of the temple in Matthew 21, 12. What do you think? Well, a church isn't a temple, first off. Okay. And um, the, uh, the Jesus said, uh, do not muzzle, muzzle the ox while he's threshing. Uh, that's in the Old Testament. I think Jesus said, or maybe Paul quotes it, but the other quotation from the, the epistles is a, of Jesus, the worker's worthy of his wages. One, one of those two. Um, and, and so both Paul and Jesus are making the point that when people gain, uh, that people serve the body of Christ, they are, it's appropriate for them to make a living off of it. In fact, I, I'm right at the end of Second Corinthians, uh, or maybe I just finished it, that uh, and and especially at the end, Paul is making a huge defense for his own apostleship and the legitimacy of that sort of thing. Now he ended up getting a gift from different people to help him, but he's telling the Corinthians, "Look, when I was with you guys, I I it was it was appropriate for me to 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 take uh, to be supported by you while I was serving you. Now I didn't do that. Somebody else supported me so I could serve you. Okay, but I could have." And that was appropriate. And this is another form of that, okay? The church isn't the temple, okay? And keep in mind, too, there was a very peculiar thing that was, that, that was happening there. And uh, it, it, there were, it, in the synoptics, there are a couple of references to the cleansing of the temple. And they, they, different ones give different information. And in one case, Jesus said, you are, you are making this a, a den of thieves, basically. The implication there, and there's more that was said about that, uh, in the court of the Gentiles, this was the place where Gentiles were allowed to come and, and honor and, and worship the God of Israel, okay? My understanding is that the money changers that's like Cambio. You go to the airport, you see Cambio. That's money changers. You're going to go into a different culture. You need to have the currency for that culture. And so that's what people are coming from around the world. They have different currencies. So you have to have money changers that will uh, change the money for you. And there was extortion going on, exorbitant rates that were being um, demanded of the people in order to change money to be able to, to to buy what was necessary to appropriately sacrifice. Okay, and th- so basically, people come from other countries, even Gentiles, and they encounter a bunch of swindlers involved with the religious enterprise. It wasn't merely the, um, it wasn't merely th- that there was that there was commerce of some sort going on because. That kind of commerce had to go on. People had to make make a sacrifice. Where were they going to buy the the thing the, the critters necessary for the sacrifice? They had to purchase it somewhere. I don't think that was the complaint at all in that circumstance. I think there was an additional you, you, you're robbers and, uh, and that kind of thing. And so someone could study up more on this. I'm just going from memory on this mm-hmm. right now, but I think that's important. And so um, that that even qualifies the complaint in the temple, 
but we're not, we don't have a temple anymore. It, it, the church is in God's house. There's no Shekinah glory there. People talk about it like, oh, we're in the Lord's house today. It's not his house. It's, it's a building where Christians gather to worship. So there is no sanctity about the building itself that needs to be honored. You know, your feet are on holy ground here, so don't get your wallet out uh, kind of thing. Um, and another thing, too, is the, the, the books and the kinds of things that we sell. I mean, this is not—this isn't um, a bunch of Christian junk. No, we do sell T-shirts, okay, and some merch, so to speak, at, at our bigger—at the conferences, because these are kids, and they want it. And they wear the T-shirts, and it helps identify them with the body of Christ, and um, it helps uh, have a witness to others that they're Christians. And we don't make any money on this anyway. So it is just really there to serve the body of Christ in both cases. Now, I make, obviously, I make an honorarium on on the books that I sell wherever they're sold. And when Standard Reason is a retail outlet for that, I get a, 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 I get a portion, a modest portion through the publisher for that. Standard Reason has an upcharge, but it's pay, to pay cost of goods and overhead. It's not a, really a you know profit-making enterprise for us either. What we're trying to do is get useful products out into the hands of people that need them and will benefit from them. And they get to choose. They're not forced to buy anything. They're not making sacrifices. They don't have to buy. They don't have to change money. So there's no opportunity for that. And we're not a den of thieves. <laughs> well, I think that's the key thing. He calls them a den of robbers. So there was something going on there that was not right. Mm -hmm. And I think if they went there and these were things that they actually needed in order to do what they needed to do at the temple, they needed sacrifices or they needed to change their money so they could buy sacrifices or whatever it was. Well, now you're in a position where you can extort them because they have to have it. But as you mentioned, Greg, just bringing a book to offer that as a service, as something that can help them is not it's not us saying, hey, you have to buy this and now we're going to extort money out of you for this. So there's, it's it's not the same situation of kind of the extortion, I think, that was going on yeah. in the other instance. And I do I appreciate what you said about it not being the temple, too. There were all sorts of rules about holiness and who could be where and at what time and what had to happen before they could go in there that it just doesn't really apply to mm -hmm. a church, even if we think of it as a sanctified place where we all meet together to worship God and we protect that. It's not It's not the same thing as yeah. what they had to go through. Except for when we're doing an event and we have the green room. That's kind of the holy of holies. And no, there's can't go on. Only <laughs> oh the <gosh>. sanctified. <laughs> I don't even like making jokes. <laughs> All right. Well, we're out of time. Thank you, Cindy and Derek. We appreciate hearing from you. Send us your question on Twitter with the hashtag STRask or go through our website at str.org. We look forward to hearing from you. This is Amy Hall and Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason.